Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast, episode 81. I'm speaking with Tim Norton, who is from Tim Norton Therapy in California. So we're doing this via Skype. Woohoo! Hi, Tim. <laughs> Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh my goodness. Thanks for being on the It's funny that you call it a show. On the on the show, on the, <laughs> on podcast, the podcast, on this thing that we do. <laughs> I never uh think about it as like a kind of product, I guess. I I always feel that oh, we're just having a conversation and people are listening in. So it yeah. doesn't ever feel official, but yeah, no, I guess no, it you're, is. You're, huh? you're a movie star. Well, <laughs> movie star. <laughs> well, I send clients your videos with a fair amount of regularity. Um, oh, thank you, Tim. Yeah, no, thank you. It, it, you know, I guess I'll just dive right in. Like as a sex therapist, a big part of what we do sometimes is just sex education because, you know, you want to process something and talk about, you know, if you're scared or you're sad or traumatized about some things, but then there's a lot of to do, know how to do things and, um, sex education stuff that could take up 20, 30, 40 minutes of a session and to have a resource like you, that's so reliable and so dense and so like witty and fun and sex positive is so invaluable. You don't, you have no idea. So (laughs) I'm actually pretty happy to be meeting you. Yeah. This is the give Lindsay compliment show. I love it. (laughs) Oh, that's so lovely to hear. Yeah. Thank you. I hope your clients appreciate it. And I hope that it, it builds your credibility too. I, I hope so too. Do you, do you work with people on all sorts of mental health issues or are you I, specifically into sex therapy? I do. So all therapists start out as just general therapists. You know, we have to work with anxiety and depression and trauma and all that good stuff. And then sex and sexual issues and sexual trauma and, you know, sex, sexually compulsive behavior and all that good stuff is, is special training. So it's in addition to um, just general therapy training. And did you do that or you just have worked it into your practice somehow? I've done a bunch of that. Yeah. It's kind of a lifelong process. So yeah, lots of seminars, (laughs) lots of seminars, lots of training, you know, and honestly, the first thing that I did in the beginning was listen to a bunch of podcasts and, and watch videos like, like the ones that you put up and listen to like the Dan Savage show and sex out loud and sex nurse Sandra and just all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, You've got some good ones in there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you have to, because as you've probably talked about on your podcast, um, videos, we don't get a lot of training in grad school on sexual issues, even therapists and, and really, you know, nobody does. So of course I'm going to get my formalized training, but I also have to just hit the books and, and learn from other experts because it's really important. That's lovely to hear. I am actually contemplating putting a school together to train people because I do see a deficiency there, of course, for everybody. And also for people who want to go into the field of sexology, either as sex therapists or sex educators, there's not really um, enough schooling out there. And so I I am excited to maybe create that, but I am also a huge advocate for people being self-taught in those ways. I don't think that a school is necessarily the answer for everyone. And if you're reaching out in all these curious ways to learn for yourself and 
just like have people practicing the language with you, that kind of immersion is probably the best thing that you can do for yourself and your clients. Yeah. Well, you could probably, is this podcast just going to be us brainstorming, starting a, a school? Because <laughs> there's, there's a gap, you know, and, and there, a school shut down the, in, in San Francisco, that was a really critical one. And then I've heard some not so great things about a couple of other ones that are going on. And there's, there's not like, um, a huge one that everybody's going to. So there, there's definitely a gap to fill. Um, you could, I, you know, you might as well make a simple curriculum and say, you know, just what you just said, like you can't learn everything just because you have a certificate doesn't really mean anything. Like you've got to really put in the hours on this, um, you know, charge 1999 to, to say that or something like that. But (laughs) people do want that like expert stamp of approval and they do want those letters, at the end of their name, you know, the, what would be this explanation school of <laughs> sex education or SSSE. Yeah. Uh, people want that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's room. If you, if I think you have a bunch when of free I was, time. When I was brainstorming on Twitter, I suggested the name Academy of, uh, sexual sciences or s- sexological ass. side okay. yeah yeah and then <laughs> i realized it was ass and i was like oh no and then it's like oh yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would probably work yeah so well good that's awesome yeah. um i was hoping that we could talk about just briefly you know just as a um a skeletal structure for the episode a Sexplanations YouTube show that was done way back when. It was one of the Ask Lindsay's where people send in questions to me and then I try my very best to answer them. And uh, this particular episode is where people ask me about Morningwood mm-hmm. and it sounds like you're interested in the topic of erections. I am. Yeah. Okay. So can I ask you some of these questions and then you just teach me as much as possible about your uh, erectile knowledge? (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. Um, Yeah, I am interested in the the top. I have a podcast about erections called Hard Conversations and we're 20 episodes in. (laughs) The name. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, Thank hard you. conversations. A porn set is a is a pretty rough environment uh, to perform in, and especially for men. You know, um, as a female performer, there's a lot that I can fake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if my if I'm not aroused, there are ways that I can accommodate whatever's going on to to make it work. But um, if you're someone with a penis, it's really hard to pretend you have an erection. Yeah. You know, um, so it's certainly come up. Um, there are different ways that people handle it. Sometimes they take pills. Sometimes they use injections. Um, sometimes it just doesn't work out and you have to call it. Um, I've had instances where it just, you know, it was a tough day. It's very hot. You're surrounded by people on a porn set. So you've got people behind the camera. There are people everywhere. Um, most of them don't really care. Like it's not exciting for them. They're just working and they want to go home. So you've got this added pressure of, you know, everybody's sort of depending on you right now. Um, and that can get into someone's head pretty easily. Um, if you're not attracted to your scene mate, or if your scene mate isn't attracted to you and it's hard to foster chemistry that can, you know, cause, uh, that can lead to 
some erectile dysfunction issues. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that, that would put someone in that position. Um, and it happens sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you would think you could talk. talk about erections for 20 episodes, but we keep, we keep making them. So good. I like yeah. it. You can keep going. You know, for every boner, there is a story. I think we can. I think we can because we're also starting to expand it to just uh, male sexuality in general. Mm -hmm. And, there, you know, we could speak about that for 2000 episodes. So or maybe not 2000. (laughs) (laughs) I um, I don't know when this podcast will come out, but right now in the YouTube world, I'm working on an episode around peter tingle have you seen the new spider-man uh, uh the the animated one no um the new one that's part of the marvel universe i haven't so do you know who aunt may is his aunt spider mm-hmm. the, yeah mm-hmm. she keeps calling his spidey sense like essentially in this universe spidey mm-hmm. sense i don't think has been coined yet and mm-hmm. so they refer to it as his peter tingle because his name is Peter Parker. <laughs> right. And it's so clever. And so I got a Spider-Man costume. And I want to dress up as Spider-Man and pretend to be Peter Parker just in my adolescent angst talking about how, like, it's not Peter Tingle. But it's really similar to Peter <laughs> Tingle. And this is how an erection works. And talk all about yeah, how how it works or how it doesn't work and, and all the reasons why an erection might not happen. So awesome. Somewhere in the really? future. Yeah, I look forward to it. Good. Yeah, thank and I'll you. Forward that one to clients too. Perfect. Good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first question. And I do want to give a shout out to the people at patreon.com slash explanations podcast who make this show possible. All of you. All of you are amazing. And specifically our bosses. Uh, Donna Flint, Zipwa, Ben Trammell, and the Millers. All these questions that I'm going to ask Tim, which have been asked of me in the past, are in your honor. So question one, here we go. What's the deal with Morningwood? <laughs> what is the deal with Morningwood? Are you asking why does it happen? Or... <laughs> Let's just uh, talk about Morningwood. Yeah. So yeah, I remember listening to you field that question. And just in general... The like one of the th- the themes that comes through in all the episodes that I do on this show is that guys essentially need to relax and be out of their head to to get an erection. Um, and there's nothing more relaxing for for most people for most of the time than sleep. And so, mm-hmm. what has presumably happened in the past, you know, hopefully eight hours, but six, seven, eight hours, is that your body has relaxed very deeply. All of your organs are starting to do the things that they need to do in the middle of the night. Your central nervous system is not in a state of fight or flight mm-hmm. because if it was, you wouldn't be sleeping, right? You would be awake and running or fighting um, mm-hmm. or freezing. Um, but you're not, and and your body has gotten the message that for at least these past eight hours, everything's totally fine, which is perfect conditions to get an erection. And so without much stimulation, we can get an erection generally, or men can get an erection pretty easily in the morning, or people with penises can get an erection pretty easily yeah, in the morning. Yeah, well done. <laughs> and, and, and also, 
a lot of the times erections serve as kind of a built-in protective measure against just peeing uh, in your sleep. You can't you can't pee when you have an erection most of the ninety nine percent of the time. So it also solves that problem if if you you know if your bladder is um, filled up over the the course of the evening. So that's what they are, and a lot of guys prefer to have sex in the morning. And this could be for a couple of reasons. This could be because, you know, they're so stressed out at the end of a work day that sex is the last thing on their mind. And with a nice rejuvenating night of sleep, they wake up and, and they're themselves again. And, and they realize, oh, my, my wonderful partner is right here and it's time for some sex. Um, and it could also just be that that physiological thing of, well, they get easier erections in the morning. And then we're with a chicken or egg process. Like, did they not get erections so many times in the evenings that they just prefer sex in the morning? doesn't even really matter. Um, if people prefer it, it can sometimes be a nice, easy, quick fix to struggling to have sex on a Wednesday night after a 10 hour workday and your kids and all the things that, that aren't very sexy. Yeah. Wow. How very validating for people listening yeah. who are into the morning wood. <laughs> yeah. And, and naps. I've had, a. A guy just, no, no, not a couple of weeks ago, maybe six or eight months ago, tell me he took a nap in the middle of a, of a Sunday afternoon and woke up and was ready. And it's, it's the same principle. I'm sure people listening to this show will say, yeah, that happens to me too. Um, you know, a lot of times just taking the pressure out of the situation. A lot of guys, um, if they're in a relationship with um, someone who doesn't want to have sex while they're menstruating, they've noticed that their erections come more easily because there's not that expectation. There's like this pressure that's just been removed. Um, mm. So that's, that's not a dysfunction, you know, that's, that's not like something that's medically wrong. It's not like something in your vas deferens not working or your testicles not working. That's just a thought process, you know, that's, yeah. so it's, it's important to, to notice things like that. Yeah, it, well, it's so fascinating, too, to be doing all this research for the Peter Tingle episode because a lot of it talks about getting a sensation or um, some sort of visual, auditory, olfactory input that goes mm. from essentially where the testicles are along the perineum, that um, nerve, I think they're called the splanctic nerve, something. There's a lot more that I get to write and learn about it, but it goes mm -hmm. in to the spine and mm -hmm. then comes back out through the penis to make the spongy tissue in there fill with blood, et cetera, et cetera. But I was having such a hard time finding out where the brain was in this because mm -hmm. I don't understand how you could even separate the two or how you could then have erections if there is no input coming in, right? And so I wanted to be able to explain all of those different components and yeah, I appreciate how you're talking about the importance of relaxation and then how the mind can play into all of that and then how you can have erections with stimulation even if you are, your mind is not participating and you can have erections without stimulation if you're, you know, if you've had spinal injuries, like all sorts of things. Um, it's really fascinating. It really is. And as you were talking about that, I, I wanted to make a point to just say, I'm talking about 
um, you know, basically psychogenic processes. I'm talking about when um, your own psychological anxiety is impeding this process. And, and one of the best tests for that is if you if you can just masturbate, you know, or if you get morning wood or something like that. Then those are the erections I'm talking about. If you've had a spinal injury or, or in an advanced stage of diabetes, or um, that there's a handful of other conditions where erectile dysfunction is really common then yeah reducing your anxiety is not going to help right it's 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 clearly physical at that point mm-hmm. and yeah and, and like what you're talking about if there's something interrupting the process uh the input into the you know, the nerves and the spinal cord and all that which uh, like I'll, I'll have to have you on the podcast to, <laughs> to break that down because I don't know <laughs> if, if anybody's really outlined that on my podcast perfectly yet. I had somebody on who talked about rat penises and, and you know, because that's where a lot of our data comes from um, mm-hmm. about erections and, 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 you know, when we're testing drugs and, and different things and different surgeries. Um, but yeah, that's... That's good stuff. That's oh, Tim, uh, good I can't wait to have. <laughs> until I, when I am so good that I could have a conversation with you about the physiology of an erect. Like that is, that That's is when goal? I have made it on this. And that, and that must be, is that kind of your process? Like for every question that every topic you tackle, like you just, you want to just nail it until you've got it. And then like sometimes um, we try to put episodes out every week. And so that can be really tight. I like to spend a lot of time um, researching a topic. And so sometimes it takes years of just collecting Mm. tiny bits and then putting them together here in conversations. And then eventually that is the ovum that will become, you know, part of that cycle, even though there Mm. there are a whole bunch in there percolating. I, with erections, have learned a lot about it, but it's not all together yet. And so Mm -hmm. unless I feel confident about what I'm saying and then have it kind of peer reviewed by other people, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't put it out into the world, or at least I try not to. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of the process. I believe you because that certainly, that comes through in some of the episodes. Like there's a thoroughness um, that, you, you know, just from studying the same topics that you're talking about. I know took some time, you know, cause there's just a lot to know, um, yeah. about some of the stuff. So, okay, cool. Yeah. So right. Yeah. So right now I'm listening to a lot of, uh, medical doctors and med students on mm. their YouTube videos describing the process, but they all use a slightly different language when they're referring to different nerve endings or n- the neuron body parts. And so it's just like putting them all together in a way that a lay person could understand. Hmm. It feels like a puzzle. It's fun. Yeah, 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 definitely. Did you, you should check out the episode where I interview the urologist. Okay. He has a really nice breakdown. Um, Dr. Gonzalez uh, talks a lot more, he, obviously the medical perspective of it, um, breaking down that whole process. This like, is the rat penis episode? No, she's talking more about just rat research. Okay. Um, he's like a, a guy who does a lot of penile implant surgeries and... Um, and, and, you know, pres- you know, injections, penile, mm-hmm. and, um, I, I don't know if you want me to talk more about that. Um, uh, but, and he also just breaks down the whole erectile process very nicely. Cool. I will totally listen to that. <laughs> yeah. How did you get interested in all of this, by the way? Well, in, in sex therapy or in erections? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll start. Well, so with sex therapy, 
it just was kind of a it just kind of coincidence. My favorite class in undergrad was definitely human sexuality, Aww. but in in those days before the internet or, or I don't know, I I just wasn't around. I don't know. It never dawned on me that you could actually be a sex therapist in life. Um, I, I didn't know that was a thing, and I just was like, oh, that was a that was a great elective, and moved on with everything, and then. I went through grad school and then my second gig out of grad school was working at a sex addiction treatment place mm-hmm. and a place that branded itself as that there's, there's obviously a huge debate as to whether or not sex addiction even exists mm-hmm. and then that's debated in the field and everything. But so I got good training from there and I realized I wasn't really as into working with the guys on their addiction as much as what happens after they've made up with their spouses and now they're going to try and start having sex again and there's all kinds of problems and that's when the real sex therapy came into it Mm. um so i just got really into that you know addiction is like abstinence and going to meetings and filling Mm -hmm. out workbooks and it's not very like you know it's gratifying it's like okay let's let's talk about libido and yeah you're into the enhancement (laughs) <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so that that's where it started. Um, with and then with erect, erectile issues, um, within like the first couple months of working there, one of the things that a supervisor taught me was that it's actually really easy to work with. Um, that a, a 90% of the time or 80% of the time, guys just need a little validation and a little support that this is, there's not something drastically wrong with them. This mm-hmm. happens to everybody mm-hmm. that you can work out a safe dynamic with your partner and everything's going to be fine. And that can make a huge difference. And then I was doing the math on that. And there are like millions of guys that never get treatment for this. Mm. And so I was like, they, they need, they're not coming in. They're afraid to come in. They, you know, cause then I would start getting calls and guys would say, yeah, this has been going on since I lost my job three years ago. And, and then they wouldn't show up for the appointment. Mm. And I was like, oh man, the, just the level of shame. So I, it just felt like a podcast. I couldn't believe there wasn't one. I felt like, okay, I've got to do this. This, this has to be out there. There have to be a bunch of different voices normalizing this and, and giving really good information about it. Cause internet articles are very like, these are the six reasons why you don't get, you know, morning wood and, and they're not very validating and they're not very like, um, relatable, you know, they're, they're just like, they, they don't really sink in. So I was just hoping for something that people might really get a lot out of. And so I've made a point to have on not just sex therapists, but like I had on, um, a couple of adult perform adult film performers, um, a sex surrogate, um, people talking about like pelvic pain, um, a guy who just, you know, like learned how to meditate and, and, and cured his own erectile issues. I'm trying to get like a really broad number of voices, not just sex therapists who of course are going to say really predictable things to you. Like, you know, you need to lower your anxiety. Um, and I, I hope that that comes across that like, no, this is, we're not making this up. Like there, there's a lot of different people saying the same thing in just really different ways. Um, and, and we mean it. Tim, that's awesome. (laughs) Thanks. That's so cool. Now my brain is going so quickly. It's like, oh, I want him to talk to this person and this person. Mostly, I would love it if you had comedians on your podcast because I find that 
comedy is such a great remedy for codependence. And if you're really charged in your body to believe that like the worth of your um, your sexuality with the partner is based on whether or not you can get an erection, that that comedy can just lighten it all up and really give people a new way to have those hard conversations just yeah. with some humor. Well, so. Do you know any sex positive comedians? I mean, a lot of the comedians I think are sex positive <laughs> because, for, well, for me, comics are modern day philosophers. So huh. th- I think that they are some of the wisest people in our communities and they're, um, they're just doing magical things for people. And you said you're in California. I am in are Los Angeles. In, ah, perfect. So Mike yeah. Falzone is there. Okay. And I have actually done an episode of Sexplanation's YouTube channel with him where I, I went to his house uh, after I did a three-hour dungeon tour and mm. experienced a lot of the sensations there in an academic way, but it still happened to my body, and I was still mm. in this uh, like quasi-subspace. And so I mm. show up at his house because we're supposed to be doing all these recordings while I'm in L.A., because I'm usually in Montana. And I just kind of flop on his couch and it's like, okay, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, boners, just tell me your boner stories. And he did a, such a fantastic job. And it's so, it's so lovely. So if you can connect with him, I'll try. I'll try and okay. get the two of you connected. He also has a podcast, which um, I don't know if he has guests or not, but you know, yeah, you could go to one Perfect. of his shows and show some support and, you know, the happy totally. world of the internet. Totally. I um, I love going to comedy shows here. There are so many um, all yeah. over town. And uh, yeah, and anybody else who you have run into along the way who you think would add a unique perspective, um, I, I would appreciate it. I've been like, one thing I've been looking for lately is, or, or the next guest I would like would be a partner to talk about what they went through, which is actually obviously really personal and and I've asked many people and they're like, no, I can't. But so, you know, both people would have to consent, mm-hmm. but, it, but there's such a, a thing, such a, so many things that the person who's dating somebody or married to somebody, um, goes through. That's also, um, a really big piece of it. I think I'm a person for that too. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Uh, All okay. Right. So this kind of segues into the next question. Um, at least the part where you're talking about how you got into all of this. And um, it's because this, this um, Seth thinks thoughts, who has also been on this explanations podcast asked, does it seem weird that I'm going to be a music teacher, but would also love to teach sex ed. So, you know, is there any weirdness out there if somebody wanted to have a, a career that was about one discipline and then also have a fascination or a second career in erectile difficulties or urology or sex education, sex therapy. <laughs> well, if if I were, you know, the supreme dictator running the whole country, then no. Then, <laughs> then I I would I would punish anyone for for saying that that's weird. Um unfortunately or maybe fortunately, I I'm not that person and you know, he's still going to run into the stigma of, of whatever community he's in and whatever, you know, aspect of however public he is. Um, sex educators just doing sex education and not having another career uh, are targets. You know, I don't know. I hope nothing's ever happened to you. I was just talking to somebody over another person in the field who had three different stories of 
uber um religious stalkers who would protest them and threaten them and there's someone who's doing a bunch of research on sex addiction out here who gets harassed by the the no fap community and all of that and mm. it, it, we, you know it's we we run into that so hey if he's living in a progressive town and the parents are cool and they realize nobody else in the school is talking about sex so somebody please do it then great you know then i you know there's nothing weird about that there's there's just not enough sex educators out there um but i would just he's going to have to be careful cuz people you know, me and you are in this, we're surrounded by sex positive people who are talking about this stuff all the time, but I, I still don't, I still think the world has a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. Well, I have hope. I think, okay. I think that, um, well, at least in my community, a lot of people have to work three jobs just to make it. And a lot of employers mm. don't hire people full time because that's a way for them to get away with not paying health insurance. And so right. the idea that you would have multiple um, fields is mm. very typical here. Um, mm. I think that's the person who asked the question is now in Hong Kong. And so okay. I don't know what his experience is there, if he's doing sex ed in addition to music. But I think that we always pair the physical education, like the PE teachers with sex ed. And I think that having people from the arts do the sex ed is a really powerful combination. Um, you know, they absolutely, you know, absolutely. But the, one of the things that gets lost in sex education is the aspect of pleasure mm-hmm. into it. And a lot of the time there's not a real in-depth discussion of connection as a part of, of, of having sex with someone. And when you're playing music, you're connecting with the other musicians, you're connecting mm-hmm. with the audience. Oh, that's so and, beautiful. <laughs> and your access, you know, we, we reduce that to that's your right brain, you know, and you want to, when you're with a person, you want to connect uh, right brain to right brain. And so I think, a good music teacher could be great at it. And, and there's, pl- there's so many metaphors, you know, I, I've been in bands and it's, <laughs> it's kind of like being in a relationship with free people. It's like being in a big polyamorous relationship and the music is the sex, you know, and, yeah. and sometimes it's great and you've got to do it regularly. And sometimes it's shit and you drive yourself crazy. <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, I, I thought about it. So yeah, I, I think it works. I, I it was Seth. I, I wish him well. I hope he starts a whole a whole program out there. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, both yeah. of my parents have been high school art teachers. And I think about them as resources or the my own art teachers and how that adds a whole component about creativity and beauty and fascination. Whereas with PE teachers, a lot of them are really great at it. Some of them aren't. But then it's so much more of a focus on health and anatomy, the physiology part of it. And like you said, it's missing the components of curiosity and connection and the conversation. So, oh, can we all just be sex educators? That's my dream world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> um, it says, Aaron Awesome wants to know, what is this? And, oh, it's a plaster bust that I had on my shelf in um, my old studio, which I'm actually hoping the person who made it can be on a future podcast episode. So we'll leave that there. Okay. Um, another question. Have you ever heard of acute proprioception? 
causing problems such as being unable to self-stimulate. Acute proprioception. Nope. <laughs> Me neither. And I haven't Sorry. learned it yet. Um, Curious Zachary Guadalupe says, what's your favorite fact? <laughs> and I'm answering that. Um, <laughs> yes. What is your favorite fact, Tim? <laughs> my favorite fact Somebody just asked me my favorite sex tip, Ooh. and it was that it was lube. It's such a nice, easy answer. Um, the lubricant. I, I still meet lots of guys who never used lubricant. They masturbate without it. And if you're out there listening, don't do that. <laughs> Get some kind of lubricant really soon. It's going to really change your life. It's going to really, really make things better. Um, my favorite fact. Hmm. Make it sound like when you edit this, just edit out this whole part. So I just answer it really fast. And I sound like <laughs> <laughs> really smart. Uh, man, there's so many facts. I, I don't actually believe there are any facts. Reality is related, is, is relative. So mm-hmm. um, I don't have any favorites. Yeah, no, I have a similar take. Let me see. What did I say? I said, I'm not one to collect favorites, nor do I believe in the stagnant nature of facts. Yeah. Yeah. I concur. Yes. Smart people align. It won't be true in so many other parallel universes, universes, so why bother? (laughs) There you go. Said here. (laughs) What is heteroflexibility? Have you heard that term? I have heard that term. And I don't know if I could give a real academic-y sounding comprehensive answer of that, but the way I've seen it show up in... um, in my practice, well, there's actually this really interesting book that came out called uh, Straight Men Who Have Sex with Straight Men. And it might have even been straight white men who have sex with straight white men. Um, and it's just this idea that people are, they identify as heterosexual um, and they occasionally engage in what most people would consider to be homosexual acts, but they still really don't identify with being gay or bi or even anywhere on that spectrum. So they think of themselves as hetero with some flexibility. Did I get it? Yeah. I I mean, that can definitely be a definition of it. I was filling out a a survey questionnaire for some research that a colleague was doing, Hannah Witten. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she has a YouTube channel on sex education, among many other topics that comes out of the UK. And she had tweeted out this link and asked sexual orientation. And I was like, "Ah." I mean, I don't identify as heterosexual, but that's probably the closest to it. And so I clicked on pansexual because that was one of the options. And I was like, I don't, that's, it's not, that's not it either. And so Mm -hmm. I typed in the other Mm -hmm. uh, heteroflexible because at least right now that's where I'm at. And Mm -hmm. to me, it means that I typically am attracted to people who are a different gender than mine and have a lot of openness to whatever pleasure options there are. Um, All right. Okay. So next question. How do you open the lines of communicating on sex with someone who is very reserved on the topic? Which I think you're probably a really good person to ask about this because it sounds like if you do a lot around erectile difficulties, that's that's a conversation, <laughs> a, hard a conversation. hard conversation. It is. <laughs> so, have you ever seen um, 
Clockwork Orange? No. Okay. Well, there's a scene where they just tie this guy down and they force feed him a bunch of information and they pry his eyelids open. And like, so Mm. (laughs) I always say you could do that. You could just um, make him or her talk about it. Um, It's if it's conversations just sometimes aren't going to be easy and not to beat a dead horse, but that's that's okay. You know, there, I, I spend a lot, a lot of time with clients sometimes trying to figure out the timing and make sure that it's not after a long day and, you know, and make sure you guys aren't fighting about anything else. Like so many other things have to get dealt with on a moment's notice, like death or losing a job or, you know, some accident happening or a president having a speech in the middle of the day. And we just have to deal with it. You know, and if you're in a long-term relationship and you guys are committed to each other and working on your sexual problems, you just have to keep approaching it. And if it doesn't go perfectly the first time, you do it again, you do it again. You try to approach it in different ways. You look at couples therapy as an option or some kind of mediator in there. You guys can read a book together. You can... There's so many sex shows on TV right now. There's so many like great Netflix shows and other Mm -hmm. shows where there are sexual themes and you can say, hey, you know, what do you think about this episode and what they just talked about? You can put on podcasts and say, hey, you know, what do you think of that? That thing that Lindsay or Tim just said there and use um, us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's 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 a lot of ways in. But, you know, people are are scared to talk about this stuff. So you, you validate that and you normalize it and you let them know, you know, no matter what you say, I still am your partner and I'm, I'm not gonna, you're not gonna scare me away. Not, not in one conversation and you just be patient with it, but, but persistent. A lot of people give up, you know, and then they end up in sex therapy, like five years later when they haven't had sex in five years and that's that's really difficult than if it's like five months mm-hmm. you know it's a little a little easier to deal with what are some of the conversations that people really resist or have a lot of fear around um people lose attraction mm-hmm. you know and there's that that's hard you know and then like if a someone has put on weight or something like that and they 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 just you know the person the other one person's obsessing about it um sometimes it's uh after after people have kids you know they they just look at their partners in a much different way and they see sides to their partner that they they hadn't anticipated and they they didn't you know really understand what they're getting themselves into and and it's not that someone losing attraction or putting on weight or seeing their partner covered in poop is 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 anything that we all can't get over. Mm-hmm. But we're afraid that if we bring it up and say, you know, because I see you changing diapers every day, I don't want to have sex with you, um, that that will totally ruin them and they'll never be able to bounce back from that. But it's actually the opposite. You know, it's it's usually those unspoken things that the other person that both of you are thinking about, that both of you know are true, that you're just not saying that have such weight that once you get it off your chest and it's out there, then you figure out what to do about it. You know, you figure out how to work through it and which is connecting and and connection is really hot and it brings people into sexual spaces. So that's yeah, that's what I, I think. I agree with you. I think and I think a lot of people tend to approach conversations like their opponents 
right? I'm going to say this thing that may be in conflict with what you believe and therefore we are on opposing teams. Whereas if they can get that permission from a therapist like yourself to see it as a way of um, like having a huddle where you Mm -hmm. figure out how you're both going to solve your lack of attraction at that time, then you're empowered as a team to move forward together. Totally. And what I like about sex therapy is, or just couples therapy, I you know, I'm a couples therapist too, is people will, will learn that you, you get to have your emotions. You get to say ridiculous things you get, you, and you get to take things back and mm. you get to apologize. And it's, it's more important that you're saying something like you're the stupidest person I've ever met you, know, but then come back, apologize. Okay. I'm sorry. I was angry, obviously. And, and this is what I meant. And, and when you start to learn that process, then you go and you do it on your own and, and life is, is a lot easier. Yeah. Oh, everyone needs one of you. That's what <laughs> I would tell them when I was, um, working with clients, I would always say, you know, we all have dentists and we go in for, uh, biannual cleaning. Like why, why don't we have this for our sex lives? Yeah. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for doing what you do. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we all need it. We all need to be able to talk about this stuff and we, and we need the knowledge and the know-how. Agreed. All right. Uh, okay. So a few more questions. All right. But feel free to add anything you want to talk about in here. Um, this one is about long distance tips. Do you have any? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do. Ooh. <laughs> um, I have some experience in that department. Um, Currently? You know <laughs> uh, maybe. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> That's really random. Um, but it's, uh, you know, with distance, you, you don't get the advantages of a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Um you know, connecting in person. And there are a lot of very measurable physiological advantages to just being able to brush up against somebody's hair, um, much mm. less cuddle and, you know, and, and, and exchange all of those really soothing chemicals um, that regulate one another. You know, we have FaceTime and, and Skype and everything like that now. It's really, really valuable to get that eye to eye um, regulation, mm-hmm. you know, which you don't get, you, you absolutely do not get over text. Mm-hmm. So one major tip, don't have any serious conversations over texts. You, you're not getting any tone. You're not getting any sarcasm. You're not getting, you know, a lot of people when they're starting to fight, they'll assume like really ang- angry vitriolic responses from the other person when they're just texting, but it could be neutral. It could be flat. It could be mm-hmm. facts. So look at the person, you know, talking is, is decent talking over the phone, but you don't get the face and then just make a point to, to hang out when you can, um, as, as often as possible. Um, yeah. And also you have to have a goal. You have to, there has to be a light at the end of the tunnel or, um, or it's going to feel futile. It's just gonna, it's not gonna, you're not going to see the point and, and one person's going to slip away. So you have to be working towards something, I, I would say. Those are great tips. <laughs> Thanks. I, I just happen to know them. Yeah, there's not a, <laughs> no. Uh. Uh, next question. How would uh-huh. I approach bringing toys into the bedroom after four years together? Hmm. 
How would you approach that? Well, I think that there are some toys out there that are really common. You know, you can maybe it's just where I hang out, but it seems like the, that vibrators are gaining really <laughs> rampant. <laughs> where do you hang out? <laughs> so I just see vibrators everywhere, and I think that. You know, that will depend on a few things. Like if the other person has or doesn't have any experience with that, it, you know, you'll you'll want to figure out your approach. But the most important thing about that is it's, it's called a toy, which is really nice because if you think about sex as a component of playing, mm -hmm. as something that you want to do from a place of lightness, of a place that's fun, uh, of a place that, you know, that's the opposite of work and, um, and not even a performance that, that, Hey, this is a toy. We're going to play with a toy and then this will be fun and you keep it light. I think, um, I think that's going to be your best bet is to frame it that way. And if a person thinks it's gross or, or perverted in their words or, or something like that, then, you know, it might not happen. Um, but as long as you normalize it and say, hey, this will be fun. I really like this. This turns me on. Um, I think that's your best bet. Tim, I think we have really similar beliefs about things. Yeah. I, as you might know, do a lot of work with Adam and Eve and various toy companies. And it didn't occur to me until years into it that, that they are called toys, like uh -huh. toys. You, As a child, <laughs> you play with toys and they're great and you love getting them as gifts. And it's so exciting and it can enhance an engagement with another person, with a friend. You're going to play with the toy. Mm -hmm. And to carry that idea over is something that's tricky to communicate because it requires you to think about children and to like come into your sexuality. But it's really valuable because that kind of playfulness that we have then and the the creative thinking and the imaginative world that's around playing with toys should be something that we carry through our whole lives. And a sex toy really facilitates that for our sexual lives. So uh, I'm a huge advocate for people when, yeah. when they want something there, right? It's such a, a great way to enhance the experience. We do think about it very similarly. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Like everything that you've said and how you word things I'm like, Oh, Tim, where did you come from? You, you are, uh, you have been in my brain. It's fun. <laughs> well, I, I have watched your videos. <laughs> well, fantastic. Then it's working. <laughs> I'm your clone. <laughs> it's so great. Oh, I love it. Okay. Maybe one more question and then All right. we'll, because I, I, I want to do kegels. Okay. So are there any resources you recommend for sexual assault related PTSD and trying to move forward sex life wise from that? Sexual assault related PTSD. Um... You know, that's one of those things where there aren't enough books out there yet um, that, that are contemporary, that incorporate all the latest modes of therapy. Like there, there are good ones. There's, there's a real classic one called, um, uh, it's, it's a yellow book and it's called, I think it's called The Courage to Heal. And, and that, that's a workbook and a lot of people get a lot out of that. And there's a couple more out there. But the, there's there's going to be a limitation to 
um, reading and and then doing your own journaling and 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 you know if there are apps out there that at some point you're going to really want to process this with someone who can be in the same room with you and hear your experience and validate it and normalize it and help you get angry about it and and find a way to channel that anger and to move through it and and that is really going to just depend on where you live and then what resources you have available to you you know and and just luck and and that people are going to have had good training in it and um it's uh it's something that we don't like to talk about much as a society mm-hmm. you know it's something we have a lot of denial about which is you know been there's a lot of attention that's been drawn to that in in the last couple of years and so but it's a really important process and it's you know it's it's really cool to it's an honor to be a part of that with somebody when when they're going through something like that and and you can tell that they're they're moving through it you know and they're like they're they they start being sexual again and they start like um just not feeling so many negative things about themselves and um so but what you're looking for is somebody who and you know I don't think that sex therapists and therapists in general are the end all be all like mm-hmm. you you need a person who is going to be sex positive who's not going to shame you who's not going to say that if you know some frat boy or your uncle or dad or brother did something to you that there's something wrong with you or the, you know any, they're not going to imply that at all they're going to be just totally welcoming and and they're going to have the knowledge that that happens it happens a lot and then they're a safe space to just, you know, tell you all, all the things, talk about all the things and, and, but they're not going to like force you to talk about things that aren't bothering you. Um, a lot of the times people have weird things that happen and they don't have nightmares. They don't have flashbacks. They don't have, um, they, they don't struggle to reenter new sexual relationships and a therapist will insist that they just get all this stuff out and dredge it all up and then it's going to show up somewhere. It's not true. We're resilient, um, first and foremost. And sometimes it really messes people up and sometimes it doesn't, you know? And so just knowing that, that there's not something inherently flawed in you now that can't ever recover because you've been sexually assaulted. Um, if it's not bothering you and your, your sex life and with your new partner or pre-existing partners going just fine and you're not having nightmares, you know, you, you might be able to work, work through it like, um, fairly quickly and easily. Um, but if there's a part of you that really needs to get into confrontation and, 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 and process it and you are having nightmares and, and you can't have sex with anybody ever again, you got to put in the work, you know, and, and you got to do it with somebody that feels safe. So it's okay to call therapists and interview them and fill them out and talk about things and read them. And, and if you don't feel like they're really hearing you or they, or they're not being sex positive, you, you can move on. You know, it's, it's not, I can't say that there's some body of sexual trauma therapists out there that sanctions and, and reviews everybody and, and makes them really awesome. Like we, we don't, you know, that's your, you're kind of, it's a, you're rolling the dice sometimes um, with who you sign up to, to take therapy with, to do therapy with. Maybe we can come up with a, a Lindsay and Tim, uh, what do they call it? Not a certification, but a verified program. 
<laughs> that that would be good. Yeah, that would be nice. That that could be really time consuming. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, therapy and therapists in general are, are sorely lacking something like that. You you know you just remember from grad school some of the people deciding to enter into the field was just weird. I remember having a classmate who was who literally said. Uh, I don't know if I think therapy works. <laughs> we were like halfway through the program. Mm. <laughs> we're just like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and, and and there were there are a lot of people that like, you know, all you got to do is take the classes and pass the test, and then have some supervised hours, and then you're out there. Uh, and, and there's no governing body that's going to go in and say, "Are you a good listener?" You know, and and, and here's the test for that. Yeah. And you failed it. You know, there's, there's nobody doing that. Um, and there's nobody really saying, have you kept up on the latest techniques? Like you have to take classes, but nobody's, no, nobody's out there making sure that what you're doing isn't really dated and, and now sex, you know, sex negative and, and damaging. You know, Cause a lot of the stuff that you and I talk about, like hasn't, they were not mainstream viewpoints in the eighties. You know, they, there were therapists who would say things like non-monogamy was never going to be a good thing. And, and, and gay sex is, is bad and probably points to something going wrong in your childhood. And, um, and, and lots of really basic, and, and, you know, sex toys are perverted and, and inherently bad. So is my soapbox long enough? <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. I mean, the thing that I go back to is the permission, right? And so what I'm hearing from you is that people can get permission from people who aren't therapists to mm. experience trauma and move through it in ways that they need to. And we can also get permission from you to do a thorough investigation of helping professionals and determine whether or not they can serve us in the ways that we need. And, and that's, that investigation is not only okay, but it's appropriate. So yeah. I, I like your soapbox. Go, Tim, go. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. And like, if you start telling a friend about your sexual trauma one day and you start to have a panic attack and, and, and you dissociate and, or you have a flashback or something, then yeah, then you're not going to be able to just work through this casually with a lay person. Like it's, you're going to have to go to a professional probably. Um, but a lot of time people, it's, it's not as bad. And I, I've met people who have done a lot of work before they get to me. Mm-hmm. Um, sex therapy is expensive and they, um, long-term sex therapy is expensive. And, and so, and they can, you do get a lot from the books and the websites and, and like the seminars, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube now. And, um, and so you, you, you know, like we were talking about with, um, like we were talking earlier, get as much of the information as you can and then uh, do the processing, the emotional processing on top of that. Well done. Everybody, you. now you've heard it. There, right. there are solutions. <laughs> okay, I think we've just solved the world's problems. <laughs> Next, kegels. <laughs> Anything else? Kegels. Okay. Yes. Main squeeze, squeeze it so, since you work with people on their penises in particular, or maybe all erectile tissue, um, do you connect that at all to kegels? You know, I don't have a lot of people doing kegels. Um, Tim Norton. 
I know, I know. It it hasn't it hasn't come up a ton, and I'm I'm probably not as good of a therapist for not walking people through it as much. <laughs> but I, I've read. Um, I've read mixed reviews yeah. on kegels. I, I think with a lot of treatments, um, if you have a lot of buy-in and hope and, you know, people have really interesting relationships just to their pelvic floors. And I think it's going to do wonders for some people for sure. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not an expert on kegels. Um, but you are. I don't think I'm an expert at all in Kegels. I mean, I've done an episode about them. And so I put mm-hmm. in my research there and I did an episode with a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor treatment so mm-hmm. that she could give me feedback on my Kegels and help me um, communicate how to do them on this explanations podcast because we do them every mm. week and I find that it's actually really helpful to me mm. to have this regular movement of my pelvis, but I also mm-hmm. have to work on relaxing rather than tightening. And so when people start talking about kiggles, my my reaction is to pull in and mm-hmm. tighten all those PC muscles. Mm-hmm. But when when you were just talking about them, I was consciously thinking, okay, push down relax, mm-hmm. release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slowly. Yeah. And I, I did have, um, a pelvic floor specialist on the show talking, talking more about male pelvic pain and, but walking, she had me do something. I think she had me cough or there was like a couple of different things to, cause I hadn't even really conceptualized my pelvic floor until that interview <laughs> and, and it's it's this whole world there, there's a, there's all kinds of, of things going down there and there's another expert that we should probably all visit a couple times in our life a, a pelvic floor specialist um but i like to also refer you know when if you're going to do something like that I, I like to have people get their information from someone who's doing it 24 7 and there's a lot of them in la there's a lot of pelvic floor a lot of good ones too the last thing i was hoping that you could do today is mm-hmm. give some extra credit assignments to our audience now you can practice at home dr no gives you sex credit there's a book called the erotic mind uh by jack morin which is an incredible book and i saw your eyes light up and you know <laughs> of course <laughs> um and at the end of that book I, I don't know if you can get this without just getting the whole book there's there's a a, uh, a survey there's a long worksheet that has you outline all of the elements of your peak erotic experience you think of the two best sex episodes that you've ever had in your, in your entire life and you write out um you know how old you were how long you were with the person you know all the all the basic like the boring facts about it but also then the nature of what was going on what you liked about it you know, the nature of your orgasm, if you did orgasm, um, just in, in all the, the, the details of it and going through that process and writing all of those things out and really sitting with that can really open people's eyes up to so many things about their own sexuality. Um, it's a really great homework assignment and it can be very telling when you start to compare those 
um, moments with your current sex life and, and what you're doing and, and what you're pursuing. It can give you a lot of data, you know, either you're killing it because you're, you keep doing your favorite sex thing or you're with someone where you don't get to do your favorite sex thing. And then it's a choice. Of, okay. Are we going to start to introduce this and have some hard conversations <laughs> or are, you know, is there, is there an incompatibility here that we really need to address? But that's my favorite assignment for sure. Yeah. Um, that is perfect. Okay. For real. I love it. Okay, good. All right. Thanks. So Tim Norton from timnortontherapy.com hard conversations podcast. Please check him out. Learn more. Do your homework. Uh, Stay curious, of course. Thank you, Tim, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And let me know when um, your episode about erections comes out. I, I think that's going to be really cool. I will. All right. Yeah. No, it's going to be great. And um, yeah, we'll we'll just keep learning, right? I guess so. In Cora and Paro, I'm still learning. <laughs>